This is Anyone Can Do a Welcome. I'd like to start off with an acknowledgement of country. Bayaju Budri, Darugu, Giyura, Giyura, Nurabarang. Bayaju Budri, Darugu, Warangad, Giyuragu, Barani, Yagu, Baribugu. Bayaju Budri, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander, Giyuragu, Nura, Vimogu. I speak well of the Darug people, the people belonging to country. I speak well of the old ones, past, present, and the future people. I speak well of all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and their homelands. Welcome back for episode five of Anyone Can Do a Welcome. Nai Gyara Anissa, Buruburangal Darug Jin, Naya Marangoraburang Darug Norua. So I'm Anissa, a Buruburangal woman from the Richmond area on Darug country. The last episode I talked about our Darug history. Uh, had a bit of a, a look at uh, Captain Cook Death Day, which has just gone past, and the latest non-Darug welcome to country on Darug Nora. This week I'm going to start with Darug history, talk about those using our people and our language, Yiyora Dalang, for profit, and the latest non-Darug welcome to country on Darug Nora. Now, last episode I did talk about the Battle of Richmond Hill and the Battle of Vinegar Hill, and I think it's really important that we focus on various parts of Darug Nora because sometimes we don't know these things and education is always a good thing. Today we're going to talk about Baladari, a Baramaragumala, whose name translates basically to the leather jacket fish, and he was a great fisherman, young Baladari, and this information actually comes from author Michael Flynn's book, Parramatta and the Aboriginal People of the Sydney Region, Part 1, 1788 to 1810. Now, as a child, Baladari was front and centre for the invasion. Um, and the invaders at this point had then adopted our word, Baramatta, place of the eels, as the name of which we now know as Parramatta. As an aside, big eels fan, just saying. Baladari allegedly befriended Governor Philip with Colby, as in Gadigal Colby, not Buruburongal Colby. And they made their way with Philip to Durabang, Hawkesbury River. Watkin Tench recorded that the Aboriginal guides were in good spirits when they started the exploration, but by the end of it, they'd had pretty much enough of the invaders. One reason was because Baladari and Colby were basically told to go and get the food for the invaders, such as even getting a duck out of a river, like, you know, they had dogs for that, just putting it out there. And then the food, they'd get the food to the invaders and then the food wouldn't be shared with them. So they were like, no, we need to go home. This is wrong. Baladari eventually returned to Baramara and began to trade in fish with the invaders because that was his skill set. He built a new Nawi canoe and exchanged his catch of food for other foods or other goods. But like all good things, this was destroyed when a whole pile of new convicts came to Baramara and destroyed his canoe. Now, Baladari was covered. He storms into Philip's office. He's covered in body paint. 
He's demanding respect as an initiated muller and he's seeking payback. Now, Captain John Hunno actually witnessed this interaction and he wrote it in his little journal and he said, Baladari had his throwing stick and several spears, so Woomera, Gamai, his hair and his face and arms and breast were painted red, which is a sign of great anger. Governor Philip assures Baladari that the convicts would be identified and punished. And he was true to his word with one of the convicts actually being hanged. However, culturally, Baladari should have had the right to administer the punishment himself as an initiated man on country. He later did do exactly that and speared another convict. And so Philip outlawed him from the colony, removed him from his place of um, all his homeland, but also removed him from his place of, if you want to call it business, employment, the river. Um, He was cited from time to time and the invaders did try to capture him, but every time they failed. Now, in seven, in December of 1791, Baladari fell ill, most likely to the smallpox that ravaged Gadigal and Bijigal Darugnura. So Philip, feeling a bit bad about that, revoked his previous outlawing of Baladari and, and sent for him and actually had people carry him to the Sydney hospital to see the governor's own doctor. But sadly, Baladari died days later. He was buried on the grounds of Government House, which is now the site of the Sydney Museum. Inside a Nawi canoe, with his spears, Gamai, placed beside him. Michael Flynn, the author, states that Baladari's death presents a powerful representation of the factors of land loss cultural conflict and disease, which eventually led to the near total disintegration of Aboriginal society in the Sydney region. Okay, near total, because we all know we're still here. But it is a representation of everything that we did lose and the, and the, and the conflict between the two worlds and that bloody smallpox, which they brought in vials on the first fleet. I'm just going to leave it there. Baladari was a strong Baramadigal Darug Mala who should be honoured for his staunch but short life. Mari Nubaj Biang. Now, in 2008, a nature reserve in Parramatta was actually renamed Baladari's Wetlands. Now, if you want to do a Google search for that, you will be able to locate where it is on the map around Parramatta and go and visit the site and pay your respects. Alternatively, if you ever go to the Museum of Sydney, they may actually have a space that identifies where Baladari is buried. Um, I would like to see Baramadigal Mob have a bit of a say in, in how that site is managed. Don't you? the tail end of of that story about Baladari, I just wanted to remind everyone about the Darug reunion that will be at Murabinika and it is two weeks away. If you've already registered, you may have received an email from the organisers requesting some further information. It's nothing major and I completed it myself last night. So it's going to be a great weekend 
where we can start to slowly update the genealogy of the clan. So if you look at Cohen's book, Daru Gnura, um, for example, there's almost 50 years of family members not included. Now I say that because my, my cousin, one of my oldest cousins is in there. She's a year older than me. She's in the book and I'm not. So we want to update the genealogy of the clans, touch base with people, sing some songs maybe in Dalang, have the Welcome to Country in the Smoking by our deadly elders and much, much more. So I'm looking forward to catching up with all you deadly mob on the weekend of March the 2nd and 3rd out at uh, Murumitaga at Rouse Hill. Buiga, darugiyora. Okay, our next session is talking about Darugyura and the Lang for profit. Now, we've talked about the Opera House artwork, and I'll leave that one because that was a previous episode. But now we're going to talk about the use of Darug Dalang as a means for non-Darug organisations to make a profit. So when using Dalang, one must seek permission from the traditional owners. That's anywhere in Australia, okay? But we only speak for Darug mob. It is cultural protocols. Flat out, plain and simple. And we need to be really mindful of a few things. Like, why do they want to use our language? How are they going to use it? And for how long are they going to use it? These seriously are questions that need to be asked. Terry Janke and co have provided mob, free of charge, by the way, with contract templates to ensure that mob retain their Aboriginal intellectual property rights using contract law. If you didn't know, ASIP is not enforceable as copyright, so it has to be done another way. So part of the uh, First Languages Australia uh, um, group worked with Terry Jenke and co to create these contract templates. You fill them out and they've got them for a range of scenarios. So if you're an Aboriginal artist, wanting to work with a white organisation. If you're a white organisation, you want to hire an Aboriginal linguist or an artist. If you're mob, you're trying to get other mob engaged. All of the scenarios, they've got it covered and you just fill out the template and file it. It is a legal document. They even give examples on their website, uh, the First Nations Languages Australia Trust. They've got it. If you don't, If you want more information, I will happily share it. I've got the website, I've got the documents, and I did the training in this. So it's really, really important that community is made aware of our obligations and, and not just our cultural obligations, but also the obligations of those people wanting our Delung and wanting the history of our country and wanting our Yiyura to put on sales on the Opera House. Now, we've seen groups provide the lung for those wanting to work on Darugnora, but the concern is what does the actual contract of engagement say? Who owns the Delung? The organisation or the corporation? Unless that contract says otherwise. Even though our Delung is our Delung, community owned Delung if you want to put ownership on it. 
So we've got to be really, really mindful of what goes on with the sharing of words, language, images, songs, etc. We need to be mindful. And I'm not saying we go no to everybody. I'm not saying we go yes to everybody. But I want everybody to be very aware of the consequences of giving stuff freely without having a contract. We've got to use gub law to protect our language and our people. Okay, we have to do it. We have no other option. It's really important that everyone is educated in this. Now, one question is, who's provided the Delung itself? Are, are they, you know, corporations and organisations, etc., getting it from one source or from multiple sources? Now, this can be a person, so one person, which is not a consultation, by the way, or some writings, which, again, is not a proper consultation. Most choose to pull up Jackie Troy's book, The Sydney Language, which, I might add, denies us as the traditional owners of Warain and Darug Nura. It is not the Sydney language. It is Darug Dalang. But it's also the work of Uncle Richard Green, bless him, and his website that people go to and take information from without seeking permission from Darug elders or knowledge holders, or in the case of uncle's work, his family. You can't do that. I've been told we've got it from a website, meaning uncle's website, and that does not mean that permissions have been given. Uncle created that for us as a community. He did not, I honestly believe, hand on heart, create that website so gun, you know, gubs could go along and just highlight a word, cut and paste it into a document and call that consultation. Shout out to, to Uncle Richard's daughter, Jay, who's now working in this space to help get that Darug Dalang website back up and running with the site um, owner who's supporting, who has always supported Uncle Richard's work. Uh, it'll be great to see it back online and, and accessible to the community. Now, we've seen other mob use Aldalung to advertise their businesses or programs, calling it the Sydney language or the Eora language. When we erase the nation, we erase the truth. Another example is the choice of the words Jin Nura for a shopping centre in part of north, or oh, sorry, in, in the northwestern part of Sydney. It roughly translates to women's country, but it's a shopping centre that men go to. So culturally, it should be not named that because women's place usually means women's business. Really wasn't thought through. We've got to be careful when we start letting people have access to our language like that. There are parts of our Delung that are in Jackie Troy's book that shouldn't have been published, even if it did come from William Dawes writing it down. Troy is Narago mob. Doors wasn't mob. There are issues around the publication of the names of our creator also being published. So one name for man, one name for woman. And I said that in the last podcast episode. You don't publish ceremonial language simple. You don't do it. There is a reason why ceremonial language 
was not openly shared. And if it was openly shared and written down, well, then there's an issue. Do we have it recorded because of the invasion and we needed to, to maintain it? But again, it's ceremonial language. Who's meant to see it? Who's meant to be a part of it? I don't know of an initiated Darug man in our community in the last 50 years. So technically, even male initiate, male ceremonial language shouldn't be shown to other men. This is stuff we need to work on as a community and not have it published in books for which the profit does not go to us. Now, there's also a few people out there who've made a name out of sharing our Delung and Yigurta for profit without realising that not all our Delung is meant to be shared, as I've just said. We as a community need to continue our Delung revitalization, but also be cautious over what is asked of us to share and what we actually do share. Read up on Terry Janke's True Tracks. Just read it to see how other mobs have been forced to go to court to fix problems caused by gubs, people or companies just having their way with stuff that's been published in a book. I really strongly urge you to read the chapter or the, the section about the carpet case if you haven't read the book. Furthermore, and this is the important thing, it is not lateral violence to ask a company or organisation who gave permission to use our DeLong. It is cultural protocols. If they cannot answer that question without carrying on like pork chops, that it's lateral violence, then the answer is no one gave them permission. And the problem is if it happened in another nation on their country, it would be a major issue if it actually got that far in the first place. Another Welcome to Country by Non Darug. This time it's about what happens when Darug Yura, our elders, are engaged to perform a Welcome to Country on Darug Nora. So we have several amazing elders in our community who do great work with and for Darug Yura and the greater Aboriginal community that resides in Sydney. Only last year, I arranged for Annie Thelmarie Rudd to perform a Welcome to Country and a Water Blessing at the Google Education Symposium. It was a great event with people from 25 countries in attendance, and it was one stop on a global symposium event trail. And Darug was front and centre, as it should be. However, sometimes when we do follow cultural protocols, other things can happen. Recently, I was made aware of several organisations arranging for Darug elders to perform welcomes and later being approached by certain Lauks demanding why they weren't sought out, and yes, I used air quotes, with some allegedly being abused for following cultural protocols. Let me remind everyone out there, under the Aboriginal Land Rights Act of 1983, you do not have to approach a Lauk to do a welcome. Not that they should be doing them because none of them are traditional owners and it's a honour reserved for our elders. You do not 
have to engage land councils at all. You can engage traditional owners and you should not be abused for doing so. What people should also be mindful of is if you get someone who is only born on Darugnura claiming they are a traditional owner, they aren't. They are not from a Darug bloodline. Therefore, the most they can do is an acknowledgement. And far too long, people have said, I've lived on this country for 30 years. This is my country. No, you are still a visitor. If you are not from the bloodline of the country you are on. My own children were born on Nunawal Nambri country. My grandchildren were born on Nunawal Nambri country. I've lived there. My mother lived there. That's four generations. That does not mean I am Nunawal Nambri, period. I was still a visitor on that country. I now live on Wiradjuri country part-time and Darug country part-time. I am not ever classifying Wiradjuri country as my home. It is not. Darug Nora is my home. I think people need to be very mindful of the terms that they use in communities when they think that since they've been here since 1830, that that means they can claim that they are TOs. No, if that was the case, then the invaders would have a claim before you. We need to be mindful of this and this practice has to stop. All right, I'm just going to wrap up now. I'd like to say Mari Dijurigura for joining me about the truth and history of Darugnura. Next time, we're going to dig deeper again into the history and Dalang of Darugnura and investigate yet another non-Darug welcome to country on Darugnura. Nabawunya. Yanu. Anyone Can Do a Welcome was written and presented by Anissa Jones. This podcast is an opinion on the history and current interactions on Darug Nora. Dijurigura, Naragu.